if they knew they were going to die or be persecuted or imprisoned or killed. Somebody's going to sing. Somebody's going to spill his guts when you're talking about people that said, hey, we saw Jesus. He arose. We saw him. He talked to us. He touched us. We touched him. It's true. It happened. This, those 12 people had kind of run off and hidden into the crowd as soon as Jesus was crucified because they knew they could be next. But as soon as they saw him, they stood up, said, he's alive. He's here. And they never broke. They were killed, imprisoned, persecuted. They never cracked. Not one of them said, okay, we made it up. We got together, told the story. And if you compare it to what you know about the real world, real people, Richard Nixon's crew of six sung like a bird when they had to because they were protecting a lie. The apostles were protecting the truth. They were ready to stand with the truth because they couldn't crack, couldn't tell a lie, and they did it knowing that it would lead to their death. It's kind of an interesting look at evidence, and that's what I was searching for was evidence of the resurrection. And that's one of the first things that evolutionists or non-believers will try to do is prove somehow or refute the fact that Christ arose. It's got nothing to do with what my message is, except just a little bit, but I just thought of that during that song. Uh, we church, see ya. Paige is going to take you back. Uh, the teams are going to stay today. because Some things I have to say are uh, important to them, I hope. And you guys don't forget to pray for Paige and Ray. Uh, Brent and Stephanie, they help so much with our young people. Uh, it's incredible what they do without recognition, so I really appreciate what they do for us. Um, prayer requests. We have a prayer list. It may look at it. Anybody that wants uh, some updates or reports, uh, it's a good time to do that. We had um, Sue Wasson passed away Friday morning. Special prayer for her family. Um, Pat called this morning. She's at her daughter's church and asked to announce that they need volunteers to bring food for the dinner, reception dinner, Wednesday. Uh, if you could have the food here at 11 o'clock from 11.30 to 12, they're going to eat before the service on Wednesday for uh, Ms. Wasson. Um, I have one report. My dad just got out of the hospital Friday. We spent three days going through some new tests and finding out some problems he was having. And, uh, and they sent him home again. It keeps, the dogs keep shaking their heads like a coon dog with their mites. As old Uncle Al used to say, they can't figure out why he's still here. They've decided to do another surgery because he's hanging strong. Uh, and he's back home today. He wanted to come, but uh, he can't get away from some medication and oxygen and things that he needs. Anybody else uh, have a report or a prayer request that's not here on our list? No? Dexter?
Dexter Schaefer. We can't pray enough for teenagers. I thank God that I got to grow up in the 60s. It is, it's always difficult to be a teenager. Every generation has its own challenges, its own problems. But what our kids have to deal with today in the schools, on the streets, uh, was unimaginable what it was like for us that grew up at a safer time, at a, at a more uh, easy time to be a teenager. The things that they had to get into trouble with were pretty harmless. We'd be satisfied if that's all our kids did to now, what the 40s and 50s and 60s offer teenagers. We can't pray enough for kids. Very difficult. Any more announcements? Any more? Uh, yes, ma'am. Pray for Jack. Anybody else? How about you guys? Something that happened this week at school we need to talk about? Special prayer? Anybody get paddled this week? No? Everybody's good? Good. It's too bad. Some of you probably need a paddle. Yes, ma'am. Chris? Chris. that problem. Come on up here and have a seat. We're not going to let any problems happen with that baby. Let's come up right now.
that he can be delivered head first onto his pearl, the baggage to be. Father, we thank you that April has been so neglected, that she knows the time is down for her spiritual care, that you are there with her, Father God, and you deliver her in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all your promises. We praise them into your word, Father God, and we declare it done now in the name of Jesus. The baby's here, it belongs to the Lord. The baby's fine. I am going to touch on childbirth today. That's a good thing. I've got one little thing to say about it. Good job. Anybody else? Tyler and I talked about that little girl last week. I passed him in the hall. I'm sure everybody's seen Tyler and his little girl. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. The first time I really knew what love felt like is when I was taking my little girl to the potty or taking her out to the swing. I mean, we love our wife. They're important. We think we're in love. We describe it. We write songs about it and write poems about it. And it's important. But when you have that little girl... Put her arm around your neck and say the word daddy. You know for a fact what love is. And like I told him, I said, I would have jumped out of the airplane if I had to for my daughter, but I'm not sure about my wife. I'd have had to think about that one. So that's, that's evidence. I got a few notes here. Oh, we got to pray for the prayer list, right? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting this stuff down. You see how many papers I got up here? It's really hard to do. All right, bow your heads. Father, we have a prayer list before you today, and you know every name on this list. You see them. You hear us talk about them. You see their hearts as they sit in the hospital or at home. Lord, you know who needs a special touch. We're asking you right now, Lord, to lay your hand on those that are sick. Heal those that need a healing. Heal the broken hearts of those that have a broken heart. A special touch for Dexter Schaefer today, Lord. It's a young man that needs you. He needs your guidance. He needs your wisdom. He needs you to have his back. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We know that Jesus came to this earth to answer these prayers, to help us realize that you're there and that you're important and that you can satisfy all these prayer requests. We give you the praise and glory. Amen. Now, i got some notes here i got to go through. From my daughter and my wife. Make sure you don't have any food in your teeth. Uh, is your shirt tucked in? Peggy sent me that one. This is before I got started today. Tie your shoes. Um, Grandma put one here that said, uh, don't go past 12 o'clock. You know you talk too much. That's Peggy's mom sitting there. Um, Ray said, turn your cell phone off. She sent me this little note. And I had three, one from Peggy, one from Ray, one from Grandma, and one from the pastor don't try to sing. So, and the pastor wrote her at the bottom of this one, do not try to sing. So, you notice I don't try to sing. And, uh, but I do enjoy good singing, so I enjoy that. Here's my notes from, uh, I played golf yesterday. 
I didn't keep score. I wrote notes for today on this. Uh, the guys beat me pretty bad, but I didn't care. I was getting ready for today. So it was important to me today to get to come talk to you. I get to see you. I get to come to men's breakfast. I get to ruin your eggs when we're trying to cook for you and make the pancakes too thick, as I was told last week. But I don't get to see you enough and talk to you enough. And that's because we're busy, and, and I go back in the back, and, and I'm really grateful to get to come up here and talk to you. Now, I'm not a preacher. I call myself a teacher. But my students in my classes for 27 years thought I was a preacher sometimes because I taught a lot of science, a lot of biology. I taught the Word of God in my classroom by sneaking it in the front door and sneaking it back out the back door when administrators would come through. Um, we don't have anything up here. I quit teaching because they had what's called smart boards in the classrooms, and they're really scary. If you know what they are, you can touch them, and then it becomes a computer, and then you can run what used to be a blackboard, and now they're white. They're not black anymore, and they call them smart boards. And when they got smarter than me, I quit teaching. So don't have anything up there for you, but I got all these papers to follow, and that's what I did in my classes. I'm not smarter than anybody in here. No preacher is smarter than you. No teacher is smarter than you. We all know where to get the answers if we want the answers. It's in the book. I was going to give you a test. I was going to hand out paper and pencil and say, take notes, I'm going to give you a test at the end. But it's an open book test. You guys all have the book. You don't have to do anything but audit what I'm saying. I may make mistakes and I may misquote. I usually paraphrase. I don't have a great memory for Scripture. I wish the Lord would have blessed me like He did Don and give me a chance to memorize things and spout them off the top of my head. My son has a photographic memory. That's part of the reason he's on TV. He can, he's 37 years old. He can tell you every teacher I ever had. He can tell you what he made on his semester test in third grade or fifth grade or whatever you want to ask him. He knows. He remembers. I don't have that. So I make notes, and I ask people to remind me. Uh, two or three of you sitting in here, I ask you to remind me if I forget this, tell me this, because it's important, but I know where to get the answers. Charles Darwin versus God. Yeah, it's a science lesson. I'm going to give you a science lesson today. It's a biology lesson. It's a geology lesson. Um, astrophysicist. Any field of science you can name, you get a touch of it in school. You sit in classes, open your science books, open your history books, and they can't, they think, mention God or talk about the real history of the earth, the real scientific background of the earth, because it's not what's considered science. It's considered myth, belief, emotion. Christianity is an emotion-based myth. That's what evolutionists will tell you. Charles Darwin, it's not his fault. Charles Darwin plagiarized most of his original ideas. He didn't coin the phrase survival of the fittest. and I mean, he coined that phrase. But the evolutionary process, there were other people before Darwin came along, including Darwin's grandfather, that believed that evolution is how everything occurred and it wasn't the creation. He just took that ball and ran with it because he got a chance to ride a boat called the Beagle to South America and be the scientist. And if he hadn't got on that boat, a lot of people don't know, he's going through the seminary. He was months away from being a preacher. But he got this chance to go on this boat and make something of himself. The HMS Beagle. In fact, the Beagle was captained by a Christian. And I read his book, and he was so humiliated that he felt responsible 
because he took Darwin to all these islands and studied all these birds and all these skeletons, clear almost down to the South Pole, and Darwin comes back with this idea that evolution occurred and there was no God, and we started with the Big Bang, which was later coined the phrase, the Big Bang got everything started. That captain committed suicide later because he couldn't rectify his personal guilt of that. I'm going to get back to Darwin later because we're really not talking about Darwin versus God, not anymore. Today it's evolution scientists versus creation scientists because in Darwin's day, the people that believed in evolution didn't talk about it because they would be laughed at, persecuted. Their opinions weren't important. Today it's the other way around. What's unfortunate today is the evolutionists are the ones that teach your kids in college. The evolutionists are the ones, in some cases, that teach your kids in high school. And the creationists are in the background. They have to keep their mouth quiet. They don't get the jobs in the universities. If they are Christians, they are persecuted. Their papers aren't published. And it was flip-flopped in Darwin's day. We'll get back to Darwin later because Darwin actually, on his deathbed, proclaimed his belief in God apologized to certain people that knew him well that were in his inner circle. Darwin, even though he coined that phrase, he knew he was wrong because of the specific absence, the absence of evidence that supports the theory of evolution 150 years ago and still today. Still today, there's no evidence to support the theory of evolution. Literally thousands of scientists over the 150 years since Darwin completed his journey and, and you know what Darwin studied mostly to conclude evolution occurred? Birds. Birds. I'm going to talk about some birds later. And turkeys, by the way, are in the bird family. Um, my son went to one of these liberal colleges in California, the one I mentioned, is 37 years old. Comes back home after about four years to a Christmas thing, and we're at some people's house. And he decides to let me know after two years on this very liberal university in the Los Angeles area. Dad, he said, you know, I know I grew up in church. I did puppets for you, and I know what the Bible says. But he said, Dad, my anthropology instructor showed me where evolution is. How come we're here? There's no creation, Dad. I know that you believe that, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, and there's nothing. And then he steps back out of arm's reach because he's not sure what I'm going to say about that. Well... <laughs> We're at some people's house. One guy's a doctor. It's his house. And, and it didn't surprise me because I'd seen this before in young people that go away to these colleges. And so all I said was, well, okay, I understand what you're saying. Believe me, it's not the first kid that's ever gone to a California college and come back home with the idea that there is no God. It won't, you won't be the last. But let me ask you this, son. This anthropologist, if I give you scientific evidence, science, that's here today, right now, will you change your mind? Will you consider it? Will you use it? You're telling me you're smart, that your anthropology guy is smarter than me. Will you believe, if I prove to you, that the science behind the creation is just as real, if not more factual, than evolution? Yeah, I'll look at it. Well, at this time, he's engaged to be married. And uh, married a beautiful little gal. Going to be a school teacher. Um, she taught for one year and decided she didn't need to do that. She would stay home, go to the club at the beach and all that. But So I knew they are going to start procreating. That's what they do. Joshua was a great dad, a great dad. That's the thing about him. I don't care what kind of actor he is. I go see his boys. That's what I want to see. 
he's a good daddy. He doesn't hobnob with the Hollywood types. He takes his boys, he coaches their teams. When he's home or when he's off work, he's got kids with him. So I knew that was going to be important to him. I knew that was the kind of man he was going to be. So all I did was I said, okay, I'm going to put some stuff together and I'm going to give it to you. And so I start working on it. And it takes me a couple of months because I got to find some books that I didn't have. And, and I had done a thing in college years before and found this book that was written from the 50s. And it was an old gray hardback thing. It was in the University Library at Central State. And it had all these scientists that had become creationists after trying to disprove elements of the Bible. They were writing their doctorate thesis. They were writing their, uh, in medical journals. They were going to set out. Now that they'd been to college, now that they'd gotten smarter than their preachers and parents, they were going to show the world how the world was wrong. The list was extensive in the 50s. The list today, I, I started printing people's names off. Look at this. There's about 25 people there. There's about 50 people there. There's about 60 people there, 60 more. Pages and pages of scientists, doctors, biologists, physicists, astrophysicists, nuclear scientists, time and time again, set out because of their medical school training, their college training, to disprove the creation and what the Bible says about God and Jesus. That list of people all became Christians as a result. They found out when they really looked at it objectively, well, nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. There's no way to prove evolution. There is no evidence of evolution. The evidence is to the contrary. Over and over again, one scientist after another, they proclaim they're evolutionists, but as they get older and smarter and wiser and study more, they become Christians. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of it. The, the, the evidence list is extensive. I'm going to, I picked a few things out. What many of these people conclude, what many of these people study, I got a quotes, a few quotes from a few. Uh, let me give you a couple now. You guys heard of uh, Albert Einstein? He's a pretty smart guy, right? Albert Einstein is largely responsible for making us understand why we don't fall off the face of the earth and uh, why there's gravity and uh, why the sun is there. Uh, he can explain to you why we don't get sucked into the sun. The earth gravity is pretty good. We can jump up there and we fall right back down. Satellites can orbit the earth. Right, and eventually, orbiting the Earth, they'll fall to the ground. Albert Einstein can explain to you why the sun's gravity is so strong, thousands of times stronger than the Earth. But why do all the planets that we know of—Mars, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, the Moon, Earth—not get sucked into the gravity of the sun? The gravity of the sun—you you can't get too close. If you send a rocket ship so close to the sun. It'll burn up before it gets there, but it'll get sucked into the sun. That's We circle the sun because of the gravitational pull. Well, why haven't we in thousands of years been sucked into the sun? Satellites orbit the earth, suck into the earth. Well, it seems that Albert Einstein concluded that, well, Venus has gravity, Mars has gravity, Jupiter has gravity. All the planets that we know of have gravity. And it just so happens, luckily, by chance, that the gravitational pull on the opposite side of those planets keeps each other away from the sun. They all have huge amounts of gravity. And the mathematicians that try to study things, and they can come up with some pretty interesting things just studying math, concluded that if just one of our planets in our solar system was missing, that would throw everything off. Because the systematic orbiting of the sun 
calculated, prevents everybody from falling into the sun. And the sun's huge, a lot bigger than us. You've seen the mobiles, you make them in class. It's big. The gravitational pull's strong. But at the point that the earth would be sucked in, there's another planet counter-pulling that balance. And it's just the exact right distance. It has constantly stayed just the exact right distance from the sun. Scientifically, if we were 100 miles closer, that's from here to Oklahoma City. That's a speck when you talk about the distance of space. A speck. It would take nothing for a speck to get sucked 100 miles with a gravitational pull. Satellites orbiting the earth finally get sucked into the earth. That speck. We don't change our distance from the sun. Our weather stays the same. We don't burn up. We don't get cold. It's just lucky. It's lucky that we don't get sucked into the sun, that the moon doesn't get sucked into the earth. It's lucky. Or it's intelligent design. They don't want to say God, even though the Bible tells you in Genesis God created all this. No one can explain how it happens. It's just lucky. Albert Einstein can tell you about that. Albert Einstein is an undisputed genius. The most beautiful, this is a quote, the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, comets, could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent, powerful being. He'll, he'll talk to you all day long. Scientists quit trying to argue with Einstein about that. Nobody wanted to argue with Albert Einstein because you come away looking kind of stupid. That wasn't in my message today. I just got into that because I used to teach that to my kids when they would make the mobiles. I would say, why on the world do you think that we don't get sucked into the sun? And they don't realize, well, if you look at the way the planets orbit, it works. It, it makes sense. My great-grandmother, we called her Mimi. I can, my earliest memories of her when I was your age, seventh grade. She was 90-something years old, and she always had her Bible. And if you ask her anything about Bible, she'd just say, it's just common sense. Everybody knows that. It's just common sense. But scientists get you away from common sense. They want to get smarter than common sense. They want to get smarter than that. They want to try to make logic to it. And then they find out, these people, it's just common sense. It can only happen scientifically the way the earth was created. An intelligent being put this formula together. Put it together. I got all these stars or quotes from these scientists. You should read them. Some pretty smart people. They find out later. Isaac Newton, he invented calculus. Uh, he firmly believed in Jesus Christ. Isaac Newton was a pretty smart guy. He and uh, Einstein shared a lot, of, a lot of mathematical genius together. Uh, more scientists. Um, Louis Pasteur, he was a Christian with extremely strong religious convictions. Over and over, scientist after scientist, I started to highlight them and underline them, but it would take forever. You can read them. Just Google sometime. Scientists who believe in God. You, it, how long was I up here yesterday? All day. Peggy kept calling, are you coming home? And I hadn't had that part of this in my lesson. I just wanted to get a couple, and I couldn't quit with a couple. Pages after pages. She says, don't you print that stuff at home. We don't have enough ink. You print it at church. So I was up here printing stuff all day. All day. <laughs> all right. Geologists set out to show that there was no Adam and Eve. There was cavemen. Thank you. There was cavemen. Well, they start studying and they start finding out that there's no evidence to this. So many geologists made up stuff. Biologists made up stuff. This page is a page of hoaxes. People couldn't find evidence, so they made up evidence. 
These are the things these guys studied when they became Christians. It started, Darwin started all this because the first recorded one was 1891, just a few years after Darwin's book. And this guy comes up with Java Man. It's a skeleton they dig up, right? And the Java Man was supposedly proof of a creature that existed that was half ape, half man-like prior to Adam and Eve time, prior to this. But it was labor proven that the scientists proven used two parts from two different skeletons and put them together to make it appear to be an ape-like structure. They were proven to be false. It was proven to be a lie. Java Man was a hoax. Scientific evidence. 1908, just a few years later, here comes Neanderthal Man, right? He was clearly half ape, half man. And I mean, they showed this head and they showed all this stuff. And these scientists over and over thought the Neanderthal Man was a proof that we came from apes, that we at one time were monkeys. We hung in trees. But then they find out later, they dig up a few more Neanderthal men, and they start finding things that made them pretty smart. They, they had different brains than they thought. They had surgeries. Some Neanderthal men did surgeries, did amputations. They showed bones that they used uh, that had been sawed off when a Neanderthal man, which was just an old guy that probably got bit by a lion or something, they showed they did surgery. Cavemen can't do surgeries. We've seen the Dico commercials on TV. Cavemen drive cars, but they can't do surgery. None of them I have. The Neanderthal man was proven to be non-evidence of evolution. No scientist talks about Neanderthal man anymore. 1912, the Piltdown man. Here was a good one. These scientists find this skull, and they're thinking, no, this is different. The skeleton looks a little different. Skeletons look different, people. You take... Tyler and I, look at this guy. If you were to skin us out, our skeletons would look different, right? I mean, look at the size of this guy's head. People would be thrown off <laughs> by Tyler and I, the difference in our skulls. Now, I coached him in football, so I, he, he can't, I think I could still outrun him. I'm not sure. But these scientists took fake teeth, added them to the skull, and then they thought, well, this still doesn't look good enough. So they bleached the bones with chemicals to make them look older. Now they present this to the scientific world, and, and this, this Piltdown man is evidence of, of a, a creature that existed that was a caveman. Well, then they did more studies, and they found a pig, and it had the exact same teeth that were put in there, and they found out that tooth didn't really fit in the socket, and then they did some chemical analysis to found out the scientists faked the Piltdown man. They're continually trying to make themselves famous by showing something that didn't occur, proving that there was no creation, that it was an evolutionary process. A Nebraska man, 1922, they faked the finding the location of a skull, again added pig's teeth, and it turned out to be that they were animal incisors because they did some bone studies. And remember, this is in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Science advances. The more we learn about DNA, the more they can find out, well, that really wasn't an animal or that really wasn't a human. They're studying it. 1982, the orca man, scientists admitted after being discovered, that they had added non-human bones to the skull. And the biggest one was in not too long ago, 1999, discovered in 2000 to be a fake. This little Chinese dude, he presents the world with a half dinosaur, half bird. And all he had an artist's description of it, and it showed a dinosaur's body with bird wings. And that was the missing link to show that one species of animal involved to the other. He had pictures of it and professional diagrams of it and a skeleton of it. Well, it turns to find out that 
the scientists had to admit later after DNA examination of the bone fragments that he had taken two different animals, a bird and a dog-like creature, which was a small dinosaur or a small animal that no longer exists, and he had added the wing structures to the dinosaur to make it appear that it was one structure, and he didn't really find it in the same place. And that was one of those questions that was, so you think you're smarter than a fifth grader? You seen that show? Fifth graders figured that out, and this Chinese dude thought he could fool the world. It didn't work. By the way, the brontosaurus never existed. Man made up the brontosaurus. The same thing happened with the brontosaurus. Scientists that discovered the missing dinosaur brontosaurus, we all see those on movies and cartoons, there was no brontosaurus. It was found out later that the scientists that dug up the first brontosaurus, dug up an animal without a head, and about 40 miles away they found a head, and they put it with it and said this was a dinosaur. And they admitted that they really didn't find a complete skeleton that was identified as a new animal. Scientists continue to try to edify themselves and be smarter than God. And time and time again, they find out. These guys on this list, thousands of scientists, when they start looking at it objectively, they conclude that it cannot have happened scientifically. The things I'm giving you are the kind of things that they study. More than that. Humans to apes. We don't have to talk about that. We, we know that there are scientists still, and there have been many in the past, that would have you believe that we evolved from apes. That at one time, we were a creature other than human. Well, let's talk about the blood type in apes. There's about 50 different ways to refute that, talking about the DNA structure alone. But let's talk about the blood types in apes. We have about five different blood types. Type A, type B, type AB, type O, and then you get some negatives and positives in there. Humans have their own blood type grouping. Animals have separate categories. Now, blood is cells, right? A blood is a cell. Your skin is cell. Your bone is cells. Everything's related to cells. In humans, the most common type of blood is type O, the most common. Every racial group of people have type O blood. I mean, it exists in that race of people, type O. They don't all have type O, but in every race there are people with type O blood. The next most common group is AB. You can be AB positive or AB negative. I'm AB positive. That's the next most common type of blood in humans. And then you get into A and type B blood. Apes only have type B blood. There's no type A blood in apes and almost no type O blood in apes. Almost none. All right, apes. We evolved from apes, right? The evolutionary process. Wait till I get into DNA strand, and that'll seem more important to you. Chimps. Okay, let's back up. Chimps only have type A blood, which means they might be a separate animal, a chimp and an ape. They're close, but maybe they're different. They only have type A blood. Apes only have type B blood. No chimps have type B or type O. Now, when you talk about genetics and DNA, and every day we're learning more about that, tomorrow some scientist is going to go, it was common sense. If your parents give you your blood type, this child right here is going to have blood type from you. You're given 23 chromosomes. You put 23 chromosomes into this child. 23 chromosomes each, male, female. And it will have its absolute own unique DNA as a result because of the mathematical possibilities when you take 23 and 23. The mathematical possibilities. 
So there'll be 46 chromosomes in that child, and there'll be no other human with the exact same DNA strand that child has. The base strand in that child, DNA talks about who we are, what we look like. We're, we're studying more and more. I mean, these doctors are finding out it can't be. The base strand in that child is the same as everybody in this room. It's the same as every dog that's outside. It's the same as every bird that plucks. It's the same that Jesus Christ had. It's the same that Louis Pasteur had. The base strand in our DNA is the same. All right, when it was an elementary... When they first learned of DNA, very simple form, they knew that, well, God, we all have the same DNA because they could only see the base strand. And that's the dominant strand. So that threw some of these guys off. Ah, that's it. See, we came from birds. We got the same base strand birds as monkeys and fish and frogs. The same base strand in a flower. That's science. That's real science. But you've got to take it further. The more we learn about genetics and you take the secondary, third, fourth strands of the DNA, and they are unique. They are created from the gamete. Now, how can that happen? Because cells duplicate themselves. Cells duplicate themselves. Blood cells... You, if you cut your arm... What, where's Isaac? He's gone. He fell today, got a boo-boo on his knee, he bled. Okay, he lost some blood. He lost some blood cells. So his body knows that, and where's the blood cell made? Remember that? Where are your blood cells made? I forgot. I'm, I know you didn't make a bad grill on that test because you're smart. They're made in your bone marrow. That's why if you have a problem with bone marrow, you can't make new blood cells. They can give you a bone marrow transplant, but your blood cells are made in your bone marrow. That's a scientific fact. All right? Now, let's back up. We evolved from birds, right? This Chinese guy tried to prove that. We evolved from birds. Bone... Bones in birds are hollow. Birds don't have bone marrow. There is no bone marrow in birds. They're hollow. Well, how do they get blood? A bird can bleed and make new blood. Their cells have a unique organism in the organelles of the cells that makes new blood. It duplicates itself. It doesn't happen in you and me. It only happens in birds. Well, how could we have evolved from birds? Because that would be new matter, right? New DNA. DNA can't be new. It can only be split from you taking a female egg and you taking a male sperm, taking 23 chromosomes each and putting them in and growing a new creature with 46 chromosomes. That's scientific fact. You can't create DNA. God created DNA. That's concluded by the scientists. It can't be created. It can't be mutated. You can destroy some, but in most every case when a cell, a, a gamete is joined together with another gamete and you make a person... They fix themselves just about every time. They have that ability to repair themselves. But there's no new ones. There's no, there's no ability for two birds all of a sudden to say, well, we're going to get married and we're going to have baby birds, but we're going to put bone marrow in our children. It can't happen. It scientifically is impossible. Gills the same way. Two fish can't decide one day, well, we don't need these lungs anymore. Let's go live on the beach and let's breathe air. That's the DNA structure of fish. Yeah, they have the same base strand, but their DNA gives them gills. Their DNA gives them flippers. Their DNA gives them the ability to breathe underwater by sucking water through their gill and taking the oxygen out of water. You can't create these things. And the more we understand DNA structures and the strands and genetics of the DNA strands, 
Scientists are concluding there's no way this could be invented. There's no way it could have happened other than um, a supreme being with a plan, just like the planets around the Earth. The law of biogenetics is what every scientist studies, the law of biogenetics, these biologists, which says, it says for a fact in their law, they learn this, it's the creed they learn in college when they're going to be biologists, that life cannot be created from nothing. Life has to be created from other life. Two lives creating another life. In plants, in anything, a tree, a fish, a frog, two frogs, two fish, whatever, new life. The evolutionists say that we had this big explosion in outer space, and in this big explosion in outer space, there was all these chemicals. I, I had a science class where I had some dirt, and I had some clay, and I had some water in a jar, and I had some fertilizer, which was chicken manure because it's rich in nitrogen. But I had all these elements that were supposedly floating around in a void called space, and then something made them explode. This is what the Big Bang people will tell you. Something made them explode. Nobody can tell what because there was no oxygen, and we know scientifically you've got to have oxygen for there to be an explosion. So something made them explode, and then this soup came about, and they call it primordial soup. And in that primordial soup, in that soup that was floating around in outer space, life started existing in, in like slimy, oozy, bacteria stuff. And then you put that bacteria right here, and you ask these 7th graders, 8th graders, can you envision a scenario... Mimi would say it doesn't make sense. Envision a scenario where in a few million years that could become you and me. Does that make sense to anybody? It doesn't make sense to anybody. It doesn't make sense to a scientist, yet they need to hang their hat on something because it can't be that God just created it, even though scientist after scientist after scientist say nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. So where did that base strand come from? Did God say he's going to create man in his own image? His own image. I could take Don apart right now. We could get a chemist to take pieces of him and analyze him. And he's got uh, 18 different minerals in him. Let me see. I'll get the number there. I might be speaking wrong out there. He's got 18 different minerals, 16 different minerals, and multiple elements in your body. Silver, iodine, gold, iron. That's what's in your body. It's in your body. You have this stuff in you, everything in you that you see in the air. Well, where do you get those minerals? Where do you get those elements? They're all in the ground. Is that right? You dig them up. We can dig up iron. We can dig up copper. We can dig up zinc, uh, nitrogen, carbon, hydrogen. Everything's in the ground. What does it say in Genesis God did to make you? Scooped up dust from the ground. Is that a coincidence? Is that the people that would have written that in the Bible didn't have test tubes. They didn't have all the ways to analyze dirt and soil and air. They just had what their grandmas told them and what their grandpas told them and what they knew from history, from documents, that God scooped up some soil and here you and I are. And it just so happens, it's a coincidence, that the same elements in your body are what's in the soil. That's not a coincidence, people. That is a biblical fact. God created us from the dirt of the soil of the earth. First, he created the earth. He knew what kind of elements would keep life happening. He knew how to make a cell. He created us in our image. Who was he talking to? You could argue that all day long. But the fact is, does that mean we have the same base DNA strand that God does? Probably. Isn't that what it is? 
the same base strand in everything that's alive in your DNA structure. God formed man out of the dust of the ground, Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-9, out of the ground, he created a food source. In those elements in your body, iron, iodine, sodium, all the things in your body, you know you got to have in your diet, right? you got to eat those things or your body doesn't stay healthy. Your body needs these elements, these minerals, these nutrients to stay alive. That's what makes your cells work. Genesis 2-9, out of the ground, he created your food source. The elements that you need are in the plants that you, we eat. They're in the roots of plants. They're in the air you breathe. It's not a coincidence, nor any scientist can say it's a mere coincidence that everything your body needs to stay alive is in the air, it's in the dirt. And it said that in the Bible before these people had test tubes. The people that wrote that just were smart. They had what they knew to be fact. It was just common sense, as Mimi said. It's not Darwin's fault. It was going to happen anyway. I'm not defending Darwin, but at the end, he, was, he wanted to go to heaven. I'm going to show you some quotes from that. At the end, there was a couple of people in his life that checked on him, that loved him. One of them was responsible for him wanting to go to seminary school. It was not his fault. It was going to happen anyway. And I say it needed to happen. I say that people needed the affirmation that God existed. I say it's a design that these scientists were supposed to study and prove to you educated people, you smart people, you people with common sense, that nothing else makes sense. It's not a coincidence we're learning how the human body comes apart and how to put it back together. My dad's doctor is a brilliant man, Dr. George Erbacher. If I ever get cancer, anything intestinally, I'm going to see George Erbacher. He's at the OSU Medical Center. I can live with the OSU part just temporarily. He's a bright man, a bright man. And he's sitting there, and he's showing my dad all this stuff on this computer and hand screens and going through all this and clicking and showing his intestines before the surgery, after the surgery, what the cancer's doing. And Dad said, man, you are the man. He said, quote, I'm not the man. The man's right there. I do what the man gives me the ability to do. Right then, I knew that was going to be my doctor. Physicians that believe in God are smart. There's some people on that paper that are physicians that believe in God and know nothing else makes sense. Everything makes sense when you get smarter scientists. The smartest scientists are the ones that set out to prove the Bible to be wrong. And they find out nothing else makes sense. And my mommy told them that and she didn't go to the 8th grade. It's only common sense. Don't get too smart for the Bible. Don't get too smart. When your instructors try to tell you about this stuff, learn for yourself. Google it. You're going to open that chapter in the book and it's going to say, tomorrow we're going to talk about evolution. You go home, get on your computer, print some of this stuff out, and go in and lay it on the teacher's desk. And you know what most of the teachers say? Yeah, you're right, but we can't talk about that. They know it's true, but they have to teach what the books tell them. But it also says in state law, you can simultaneously teach the theory, they call it theory, of creation with the theory of evolution. You just can't put weight, more weight on one than the other. All right, so I put more weight on one than the other. My classes where I had to teach evolution, that lesson lasted about five minutes. The rest of the hour, we talked about creation. Not one principal ever came in to talk to me about that. Not one. I had a principal that came in. I used to a Mexican guy. He was Catholic over in uh, New Mexico when I taught over there. And the sign behind the wall said, 
Your gifts and talents are a gift from God. What you do with them is your gift back to God. I love that. I wish I still had it. I wore it out. And he'd come in, and he had one eye that went this way, and one eye that went this way, and he'd have to turn his head so he could read it like this. And his name was Nunez. And he said, I, I don't think you should have that in your classroom. And I said, I'm going to think about that, Mr. Nunez. I'll think about that. He never asked me to take it down again. He never asked me to take it down again. And I never took it down. Somebody stole it. And I hope they made good use of it. I want to wrap it up. Charles Darwin wavered a great deal with respect to his Christian faith. In the last year of his life, he spoke with the Duke of Argyle. This is one of the guys that was helping him, guide him through becoming a Christian. Uh, he said to the Duke, the Duke was talking to him about earthworms and about fertilization and orchids and, and trying to show him some things that didn't make sense in evolution. And, and Darwin says, you know, and he said, it doesn't make sense your evolutionary process when you talk about how orchids reproduce and how earthworms reproduce. And he said, well, you know, when, when you talk about the fact that a creator must have made things reproduce the way they do, he said, that thought comes over me all the time and it overwhelms me. And it almost throws me off from what I think I really need to think about. He also told the Duke, I regret that my, in my youth, I coined theories that became almost a religion to scientists. I coined theories that became almost a religion. And it is a religion to scientists. The evolution approach has become a religion to many scientists. The lady Hope of Northfield, England was Charles Darwin's best friend. And when he couldn't get out of his bedroom, when they would have to take him his food, she went to see him every day. Uh, when she'd go see him, she wrote in her book, the Bible was always open on Charles Darwin's nightstand. Always open. She went in one day and says, what are you reading now? And he answered, he placed his hand on a passage and said, I'm reading the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, he said. Who could any, how could anybody deny that Jesus Christ was who he said he was? And she continued to ask him questions about that. And his salvation, is that not the best thing? He told her, he said, tomorrow I'm going to leave my window open. There's a tea in the garden. And I want you to go out and sing this song and this song and this song about the life of Jesus. I'll listen to it. And the Lady of Hope said, but you profess that Jesus Christ, that God didn't exist as they do. And again, he said the same thing to the Duke of Argyle. He said, that's bothered me. He said, I, there's, there's no evidence. I've been unable to find any fossilized evidence to prove that evolution occurred as it has. When he completed his studies in 1831, remember, to be a naturalist, he was going to be a preacher, and then he got a chance to go on the Beagle. Charles Darwin, don't give him more credit than he deserves. He believed in God at one point of his life, and then he got back to later in his life and realized through all his studies and all the papers he wrote and all the scientists that contacted him, evolution was a hoax. Evolution could not have occurred as we said it did. There is zero fossilized evidence to show that one species became another. And that is a scientific fact. Now, what do you want to believe? Do you want to believe what your teachers tell you in science class? You find out actually what they want to do, what they want to believe. I want to close you with one more quote. This guy's really a smart guy. Dr. Colin Patterson, he's a senior paleontologist in the in the British Museum of Natural History. Now, they're pretty smart over there. They're some pretty smart British guys. This guy's a senior paleontologist. He decided one day, I studied 20 years of my life. He was one of these guys. Studied evolution. Tried to prove the evolutionary missing link. Tried to prove that. 20 years of my life. He's talking to a whole bunch of guys that showed up 
to hear him talk because they knew he was the guy. This guy had the information. This guy was the smartest guy they knew in their field. Um, he said, I, I realized that there was absolutely no evidence to support evolution in my 20 years of study. I realized that there was nothing that could have existed and then became life unless a supreme being created life from nothing because there's not one scientific principle, not one field of science that could argue that. And he asked the guys in there, all these guys, big, giant room full of people, scientists. He said, does anybody have anything that you know about evolution? Any one thing, any one thing that's true. I tried to question this over and over. The geology staff at every place I speak, does anybody have one fact that you can offer to prove that evolution is an exact science? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody. Well, is there anybody that can offer anything to what I'm going to say? And this one scientist in the back raised his hand. And I'm going to quote. I do know one thing, he said. It ought not to be taught in high school. It is such a part that it ought not to be taught in high school. That gives me chills to think about that. This scientist, this room of scientists that teach it anyway, because as Darwin said, it has become a religion to these people. They've hung their hat on it. They need to show that your Bible and my Bible is a lie, and they can't do it over centuries of study. There is not one shred of scientific evidence to prove it, no matter what they call evidence, no matter how many times it's falsified or phony. And before you die, what we learn about DNA every day, it's becoming remarkable. Remarkable. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you. We know that you tell us over and over in your book, over and over, seek wisdom. That wisdom comes from Scripture. That wisdom comes knowledge of your Word. That wisdom also involves the science of the creation. That wisdom also involves helping us see the truth, understand the truth, know the truth, and not be tricked by liars, not be tricked by false evidence. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability to think for ourselves, the ability to study, to learn. And we thank you, Lord, that through your creation, we are here. And we want to see you and live with you and see your son Jesus someday. Because we know that that's the root of it all. In your heavenly name, amen.